Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I love it that we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. I love it that people are more open to coming to church at Christmas time. I love it for everything that it represents. And yet at the same time, I hate the commercialism that Christmas has become. I hate, in many respects, the hypocrisy that happens. We're going to go and play happy families for a few short hours and then whinge about everyone in the car on the way home. I hate that, you know what, in a season where we can find joy, as Phil just so clearly articulated, it's not the most prevalent emotion that I see. The most prevalent emotion I see is anger, rage, stress. This week, I went to the shops. Anyone else go to the shops this week? Did anyone else see road road rage this week? I did. I did. Who caused road rage this week? I saw parking rage this week. No, you don't. That spot's mine. No. Uh Uh-uh. I saw shopping trolley rage this week. I saw people who have just bought their gifts push it out to the car park throw their gifts in the back of the car, the same gifts that we're lovingly going to present to someone in a week or so's time. I saw them throwing gifts in the car and slamming that shopping trolley back into the corral. I saw shopping centre walking rage this week. As someone who was pushing their trolley down the shopping, you know, down the walkway decide, no, I really need to be this way and slam their trolley into someone else who was walking behind them. For a season that we say and that we sing is so much about joy, it's not the most prevalent response that I see. I hate the fact that tradition has intermingled with biblical truth and somehow manage to water it down. What am I talking about? Think about the Christmas carol, Away in a Manger. The third verse of Away in a Manger. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? (laughs) A baby that doesn't cry. Where did that come from? Especially when we see around the death of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And so if he wept as an adult, why wouldn't he cry as a child? It makes no sense to me. Crying itself isn't a sin. For a baby, crying is communication. How often did baby Jesus cry? As often as he needed Because it's just a matter of making people aware of what's going on. 
Now, I realise for some of you, you're probably sitting there going, geez, you're a Christmas Grinch. Maybe. Maybe. Look, that, that could definitely be true. Am I saying that we shouldn't sing Away in a Manger? No, not at all. Because for me, I sing one way. Loud and proud. That's it. And if we're singing away in a manger, then I'm going to sing it loud and proud. But at the same time, I think we just need to be aware that there are times that truth and tradition have mixed together and it's not specifically true. We need to honour tradition, but we need to let tradition not override the truth. And today we're going to have a look at the Christmas story. We're going to look specifically at the wise men because there's a lot we can learn from them. Because wise men still find Jesus. We're going to turn to Matthew 2 and we're going to read verses 1 to 12. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi or wise men, from the east, came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the, land of Judah, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The first thing that we can learn from these magi, the first thing we can learn from these wise men, was that they saw a star but they recognised the sign. You see, these wise men, they were astrologers or astronomers, both about the same thing back then. They were doing what they normally did. They were studying the stars. That was their job. It was part of their normal life, part of their normal routine. And while pursuing their love for the stars, they saw something. They saw a star that was different. They saw a star that captured their attention. 
Have you ever noticed that God often uses your ordinary, everyday life and captures your attention? Because that's what happened here with the wise men. For some of us who are parents, God speaks to us through our children. We see something and we get that moment that God just whispers something. That God drop that just comes into our life. Or some of us, it happens at work. We can just be standing in the photocopier queue and then all of a sudden, God just breaks in. He wants to take our everyday lives and speak into it. We need to learn not to miss that God drop moment. We need to be attuned to it and we need to go, ah, okay, I know what that is. Just as an aside, most people know that I love camping. I know that God speaks to me when I go camping. And so I want to actually position myself in a place where I know God speaks. So for you, take notice of what it is in your normal life that God is grabbing your attention on. If it is your children, then be aware and let God speak while you're with your children. For me, it's camping. But here's the reality. I can't drive four hours every time I want to hear from God. It's not going to work. But I need to still find a place where God can speak to me. And I can tell you that 20 minutes from my house is a creek bed in the middle of a ravine. And I can go there, and when I'm in that creek bed, I don't get mobile phone coverage. And if I go there for a little bit of time, I could be anywhere. And I know that when I do that, God is always going to speak with me. God is always going to reaffirm with me in my normal, everyday life, if you just make that space. I know that for me, that even then, I can only do that about once a month. And I treasure that time when I do. But once a month, meeting with God doesn't cut it. I need to find another place, another space where God can speak into my life. And for me, one of the things that has really opened a space and a place this year has been getting a dog. Because when I go walking with the dog most mornings, I go out into the scrubland behind our house and I pretend I'm camping. And by creating a space, 25 minutes a day, take the dog for a walk on a loop, it opens me up for the chance, for the opportunity for God to meet with me. Now, as I take the dog for a walk, sometimes I see kangaroos. Sometimes I see foxes, rabbits. There's all kinds of things back there. And I'm not saying that God is putting them there just for me, but I'm taking it just for me. Because God knows how to communicate with me. And I just need to open the space to allow him access to speak with me. So can I encourage you? Find that space for you. 
Find the space where God can speak to you in your everyday life and then maximize it as much as you can. For the wise men, it was the stars and God spoke to them through the stars. They saw the stars, but they recognized the sign. See, human nature does one of two things with a sign. Quite often, we go, yeah, I'll think about that later. And we put it away and we come, to it back, come back to it about half past never. And so more often than not, we ignore. The other thing that we do with a sign, or can do with a sign, the other extreme, is we make too much of it. God gave me a sign. And we lose what a sign is actually there for. A sign is meant to point us towards the next thing. A sign is not there to be ignored. A sign is not there to be worshipped. And too often, we find ourselves worshipping signs when we should be worshipping a creator who's giving us a sign to take us to the next thing. Where did the star lead the wise men? Oh, we know that. Took them to Bethlehem. It did, eventually. But the star, first and foremost, the sign, first and foremost, took them to Scripture. Because a sign by itself can be very misleading. If you just see a sign, it can leave you wondering what you're meant to be doing with it. Whereas we know that this sign led the wise men to Scripture. How do we know that? Because when the wise men came to Herod, they knew what they were looking for. The wise men came to Herod and said, where is this newborn king of the Jews. There's only one place they could have got that from, from Scripture. A sign by itself can lead us in the wrong direction. Really? A sign. How can a sign lead us in the wrong direction? In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In Proverbs 12.15, it says, The way of a fool seems right to him. But a wise man listens to advice. Where will your sign take you? Your sign will take you to Scripture. And Scripture will confirm it. Your sign will take you to wiser people. And they will speak into that. And when your sign lines up with Scripture and it lines up with leadership, you can be confident that your sign is taking you on the right path. Can I recommend, humbly submit whatever sign you see to the scriptures. Humbly submit whatever sign you see to godly leadership. I ask for advice all the time, and I recommend that we all do the same thing because it's not just enough to see the star but we need to recognize the sign secondly 
What did the wise men do next? They travelled for truth. Now, specifically, we don't know where the wise men came from. Most Bible scholars would say that they came from Babylon or from Persia. Most Bible scholars would say that they actually came from the same grouping of people that Daniel was with in the Old Testament. Now, if you remember, the king of Babylon came and laid siege to Jerusalem, and when they won, they took a whole heap of people captive. And Daniel was one of those people. And Daniel was selected to serve in the palace with the king. That happened about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. It's probably where the Babylonians, where the wise men got the scriptures from in the first place. Because Daniel, being a young Jew, would have memorised large portions of the Torah. In fact, he would have memorised all of the Torah, the first four books of the Bible. So when the Magi saw the star, they actually had a text to put it into context. Now, most scholars would say, most Bible scholars would say that the wise men, the Magi, probably travelled between 550 and 900 miles to see Jesus. Now, let, let me put that in a little bit of context for you. That's somewhere between the distance from Adelaide to Melbourne and Adelaide to Sydney. Now, earlier this week, I jumped on Google Maps and Google Maps tells me that to travel from Adelaide to Sydney by plane takes two hours. Easy. But there weren't any planes. And Adelaide to Sydney by car takes 14 and a half hours. Who's done that trip? In one hit? Yeah, it's a long trip. According to Google Maps by pushbike... This trip would have taken 70 hours. But there weren't any push bikes. Google Maps tells me that by foot, to walk from Adelaide to Sydney would take 273 hours. Now let's put that in a little bit of context here. Let's say we're travelling by night because we're following a star. Makes sense? If we travel five hours a night on foot, it would take 55 days to go from Adelaide to Sydney. And that's on our roads. Has anyone taken a 55-day road trip before? Some of you are just going, oh, no way. 55 days. Can you imagine? How many are we there yet? <laughs> In 55 days. How many pairs of shoes would you go through walking for 55 days? Can you imagine the smell? 55 days walking. Can you imagine the smell? And again, that's 55 straight days. 
I'm sure they didn't walk 55 straight days. I'm sure that there were camps along the way. What did this look like? Imagine the preparation that would go into, I have to travel for 55 days. What did it look like? It probably looked like a camel caravan. It probably looked like every night setting up a tent. Every morning packing it down again. To say that this was a big trip is a massive understatement. And nativity scenes. How many wise men do we have? Three. Where do we get three wise men from? Where do we get three wise men from? We get three wise men because they came bearing three gifts. And so the assumption has always been three gifts, three wise men. But probably not the case. A caravan of people travelling to see a king. This was like a diplomatic mission. There was probably multiple people to make this happen. That nativity scene where we have our three wise men in the manger. Sorry to burst your bubble, but it actually doesn't line up with scripture. The scripture that we just read said that when they found Jesus, they found him in a house. And given the time taken for them to get there, Jesus was probably a toddler. And that actually lines up with scripture. Because we know that the wise men left via a different route. And Herod ordered every baby boy under the age of two to be killed. So again, we probably have interwoven biblical truth with tradition and with what we think. Do I have a problem with nativity scenes? No. It's a great visual reminder. But let's not lose the truth amongst the nativity scene. So this camel caravan, this diplomatic mission comes and they go to the palace. And that makes perfect sense because they're looking for the newly born king. And where do you find a king? The palace makes perfect sense. So, our wise men go to the palace and there's this conversation between Herod and the wise men that I find fascinating. Because Herod asks the chief priests and the teachers, where is the Christ to be born? And they tell him plainly, Bethlehem. But then what happens? Herod sends them on their way. Now, I must say, I'm a little bit confused. If you were a chief priest and these wise men come to you saying, where is this baby born king of the Jews? And your response is, the Christ is going to be born in Bethlehem. What would you do? I've got to go. I've got to go see this Christ, this baby that's born king of the Jews. I've got to see but that's not what we see happening here. 
what we see happening here is the teachers of the law say to the wise men, I'll go over here. They actually became a signpost themselves. Herod and the Pharisees stood in one place and said, go over there. Can I give you a little bit of context? To this point, the wise men have travelled 550 to 900 miles to get to there. How much further do you think Bethlehem was? Six miles. Six miles. And these people who prided themselves on knowing the law, these people that prided themselves on knowing God, wouldn't travel six miles after the wise men had travelled between 550 and 900 miles. Bizarre to me. Crazy. Let me just ground this a little bit. In Matthew 25, verse 35 to 40, Jesus himself is speaking. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous man will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we, we see, sorry, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I don't know about you, but for me, I find myself wanting to do big things for Jesus. I find myself wanting to travel the 550 to 900 miles for Jesus. I find myself wanting to go, yeah, count me in. But more often than not, it's not the big things that trip me up. What trips me up is the six-mile journey where I'm more than happy just to be a signpost rather than a help. Let's ground this a little bit more. When was for Herod and for the teachers of the law, they weren't prepared to be inconvenienced by six miles, a journey that you could take in an afternoon. And yet for me, I find the same thing. I find that for me, sometimes, you know what? That being inconvenienced 20 minutes just to go and pick someone up from church can be a bigger thing than it needs to be in my life. Can I encourage you, church? Won't you be just a little bit inconvenienced this Christmas? Won't you figuratively take that six-mile journey? When was the last time you knew someone in our church was struggling and took them a meal? When was the last time we picked someone up and brought them in? When was the last time we went, you know what? A lawn needs to be mowed. I can do that. When was the last time we were happy, and I mean happy, to clean toilets so that someone else could walk into something clean? 
Will we figuratively take the six-mile journey? Will we figuratively be a little bit inconvenienced for Christ over this time? So, we see that the wise men saw the star and recognised the sign. We see that the wise men travelled for truth. And finally, we see that they worshipped the king. As you read the passage, verse 10 says that they were filled with joy. Did you notice when they were filled with joy? Because the Bible says they were filled with joy when they saw the star. You see, joy is for the journey. I'm sure that they were joyful when they found Jesus. Sure of it. But joy is for the journey. See, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes from remaining connected with Jesus. And can I encourage you today, if you're not joyful today, with all love and compassion in my heart, can I encourage you, check your relationship with Jesus Because Jesus is the source of our joy. And if you're not feeling joyful, it may just be that your connection is not what it needs to be. Because happiness comes from happenings, but joy only comes from God himself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. As the wise men came to Jesus, it says they worshipped him. Worship literally means to ascribe worth to, to give worth to. It says that they bowed down, a sign of reverence, a sign of awe. See, we were designed to worship. And if we don't worship Jesus, we will worship something else. And we see it all the time. We see it at sporting events. We see it at, do you know what? We actually see it at school assemblies as some parents are there worshipping their children. We are all designed to worship something. However, there is a worship that is only worthy of Jesus Christ. There is a worship that is in us that is only meant to be, well, sorry, that is only meant to be reserved for him alone as we come to our Lord, our Creator, our King and ascribe worth to Him. The second thing they did as an act of worship, they brought gifts. Now, I know for myself and my family, over the Christmas period, we're going to go to Perth. We're going to be visiting family over there. It's the first time we've been over there. Kids are all excited, all looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. But I know there's a fight coming. I know that in Perth, there's going to be some arguments. As I go to pay for something, and the other family members go, no, 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 no. Just you being here is gift enough. 
And it's right and fitting. And it's true. It will, I guarantee you this will happen. And if we looked at the wise men and we said, hey, look, you've just travelled all this distance. You, we know you've been travelling for days. We don't expect you to bring gifts to Jesus. Everyone would perfectly understand that, right? Everyone would go, no, don't worry about it. It's all good. We got this. And yet the wise men still brought gifts because it's right and it's fitting to bring gifts to a king. Bear in mind, it wasn't their king. They were from a different kingdom. They weren't bringing gifts to their king. They were bringing gifts to a different people's king. But it's always right and fitting to bring gifts to a king. Not just any gift, though. The gifts that they gave, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Gold, we all know gold. We all would like more gold. We all know that every king, every kingdom we've ever seen, there's always plenty of gold. Because gold is a befitting gift for a king. Frankincense, though. What, what's frankincense? Frankincense is an incense. It's something that they used in the temple. It's something that they mixed when, in the Old Testament, when they brought a meal offering, it's something that was burning. It was something used to anoint people with. And so the gold was there to represent Jesus' kingship. The frankincense was there to recognize Jesus' priestly duties. Jesus came as a king, he came as a priest. And myrrh. You know what? Myrrh is borderline offensive as a gift. Myrrh is a spice. It's actually the spice that the Jewish people would anoint a dead body with. Myrrh is actually offensive unless there's been a death in the family. And yet the wise men brought myrrh in recognition that Jesus came to die for us. These wise men not only brought gifts, but they brought gifts of significance. What's the relevance for us? We all can bring gifts. We all can bring gifts of significance. Your time, your talent, and your treasure are the three most significant gifts that you can bring. I know that just after Christmas comes New Year. And I know that as much as we say, oh, look, I don't do New Year's resolutions, I know it's still a time where we consider, what are we going to do with our time? What are we going to do with our talent? What are we going to do with our treasure? Can I encourage you this Christmas season? Seriously consider bringing those to Jesus as a gift of significance to further his kingdom. As I come to a conclusion, let me just get a little bit specific right now. If I can ask the band to come, that'd be great. Our Christmas celebration service is one week away. This 
is the same flyer that you have on your seat. Can I think, ask you to consider this to be a sign? It's just a flyer, right? Just throw it on the ground? Well, you could. But I'm asking you today, just like the wise men saw a star, but they recognised the sign. I'm asking you today, see the flyer, but recognise the sign. Would you take this flyer and would you figuratively do that six-mile journey with it? Would you get this flyer into the hand of someone who needs to be at our services next week? Let's go one better. Let's go buy them tickets. Let's bring them along because you can get your money back anyway, right? So there's no real cost. But let's not see this as a flyer. This is a sign that each of us can take a slight inconvenience. This sign is to an event, but the event itself is a sign. This flyer is a sign to an event. The event is a sign to Jesus. Over this next week, can I encourage you, let's get a little bit inconvenienced Let's figuratively take that six-mile journey and let's get this flyer into the hands of someone who needs it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 